Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. This is the second part of a conversation I had with John from Asianometry. He does video essays on Asian business, history, and all sorts of other things, notably semiconductors. Now, you probably want to head over to my page to listen to the first part of this conversation before you check out this one. Or you can listen on to this one, like, you know, I don't make the rules, right? Yeah, but thanks for listening, and see you guys in the next episode. So uh, you, you mentioned you, you've visited Singapore like four or five times. I assume these were all business trips. Like, no. Uh, oh, tourism. 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 Yeah. All the Singaporean listeners are like, like, what do you do here? There's nothing to do in Singapore. <laughs> That's what my grandma said. My grandma, <laughs> not my mom. Uh. My grandma was like, you can see all of Singapore in one day. No, no, it was for the, my friends. I had some really, mm-hmm. I have some really good friends there. And I, I miss them. I would love to go back to see them again. But like, mm. Singapore, like I met some really great people there. They're 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 a funny bunch, you guys, you Singaporeans. Like, it, I've always got the sense, and I'm, I'm probably going to offend everyone here. Singaporeans, they're very nice people, and I love them. They're quirky, and <laughs> they're nervous people. Mm. I don't know if it's maybe yeah. it's like their the accent or something. I always got the sense that they're extremely nervous, almost. They're very anxious, almost neurotic sometimes. Yeah. I've always got the feeling that was because, you know, Singaporeans have that sort of, like, they're a product of, like, a pressure-cooked life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like they got the really grinding school where, like, your middle school, your junior college or whatever it's called. Like, your junior college matters even into your 30s. Yeah. Like, schooling matters everything. Like, like it's, it's a very, they're very anxious people. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always gotten that sort of feeling. They have a inferiority complex of somewhat mm-hmm. in that they feel that they're they're very apt to acknowledge shortcomings. Um, I don't know. It's like a very interesting dynamic. That culture, the Singapore culture, I think, is unlike almost anything I've seen anywhere else. Yeah, I totally agree. By the way. Um... I read a tweet and I think that described the anxiousness that you described very well is that Singaporeans are all suffering from whiplash from secondary school. It's like uh, <laughs> we, we are all at like the SMD ground, right? And then the, the principal is just like yelling at everyone. It's like, if you don't work hard, you're not going to fail and you're not going to be able to contribute to society. And then we blink and then we are here right now, you know, at our jobs. And we see the same principal, but this time he's wearing white and he's our prime minister. Like, just, te- just <laughs> telling us, like, we, you know, we got, we got to buck up, we got to work together. If not, like, we'll lose to Hong Kong or whatever, right? And yeah. I-, I think that, that, that carries on. Um, in Singapore, we have this, uh, uh, what they call, kiasu, which is, like, afraid to lose. Uh, mm. it, it's yes. like, uh, so I, I think... Um, you know, in in America, people aspire to be the best, right? You got you got to be number one, and then what you, do they? You, yeah, I I I don't know. I just ha- just have this idea. It's like you got you got to just like if you're not first, you're last. Like Ricky Bobby or Talladega Nights, or whatever. But uh, but I think in Singapore, it's like you just don't have to be last, and then 
but when you think like that, right, you have no choice but to keep uh, staring at everyone beside you. It's like, oh, how are they doing? How are they doing? How are they doing? It's like, I can't be last. I can't be last. I can't be last. But that feeling of striving, I think it's something that like I can appreciate in some ways, but I do get a sense it's not good. There's a video I've always wanted to do about like Singapore, Singaporean mental health, mm-hmm. about like what this sort of kind of this, this, this striving culture where like every part of the not just the culture but like the economy the biz the the business environment the government the way the government economics set up like even if like the, the concept of cpf right yeah or like like these uh like the idea of retirement or like um public housing and all that that's all set up in the sense that you continually have to work or you always have to be doing something yeah. um and I've always wanted to do a video about like how that actually affects people's mental health when they're in that environment um, where like, you know, a lot of people end up leaving because of it. But like, you know, the video never ended up, never couldn't really find anything I, I wanted to kind of say about it. But it was, it really kind of kicked around in my head for a long time. That's tricky because I think even most Singaporeans are having a hard time trying to you you know find out where they are in terms of their mental health because we've only recently started to have the vocabulary to um you know kind of like oh mental health is 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 a real thing like it's not just someone's crazy it's like he has issues because of experiences he's had right like it's trauma that he's experienced and maybe he needs to go to therapy like nobody said therapy in the year 2019 right yeah yeah i i can see the the tide uh, start to change. Um, I, I don't know how far it will go, but when even our politicians are talking about mental health, when prior, you know, you would listen to them go on and on about, uh, you know, Singapore is a great place to work until you're, even until you're 80. And then mm. I really want to know what they are seeing and uh, yeah. like yeah, well, what the, the state of our country really is. But I would say that Gen Zs, uh, which I'm not a part of, Uh, They really, really are very sensitive to the idea of maintaining your mental health and sanity. And uh, they are very kind in terms of addressing when someone else has issues and, you know, very eager to recommend therapists and things like that. And I'm I'm sitting here and I'm like, therapists are expensive. It's like $200 (laughs) an hour. I don't know, I can like watch a movie, go for a massage or something. That helps, right? I I think maybe in some ways, it's always about a balance, right? And like, for maybe Gen Z, and I'm just to- this is I have no research to back this up whatsoever. This is just yeah. me thinking. Like maybe the pendulum has swung a little too far in the other way, mm, yeah. where like everything is like a mental health issue. Mm. Maybe that's that could be the case. I don't know. I don't interact with Gen Z people. I far away from their kind of cohort, but like <laughs> I've always got the sense that they're very, they're very open to the point where I feel like they need to have probably little, little more mental strain in their lives. Mm. Yeah, at least the ones in America. I don't know how it is in Singapore. Like in the ones in America, they need to stress more. Mm. Yeah, I think the the wokeness uh, in the context of mental health for Singaporeans uh, tends to happen when people are in their early 20s. So I think it's fine. Uh, again, it's the whiplash from secondary school, right? They woke up and they're like, <laughs> oh shit, like I, I still 
you know, even like for me, right, I have dreams of like being late for my O-level exams. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. Like, I- I'm not saying that, you know, like studying itself was bad or studying is inherently traumatic. It's just, but I can say that, that for me, like it probably like left a scar somewhere and then like I didn't really have... I mean, I don't have to address it anymore because I don't take any exams. But like, some days it just comes back, and then you're like, "Oh man, what happened? Like, what?" It yeah. is. It is so. You know, Taiwanese people actually have this trauma too. Mm-hmm. They have. They have it in middle school, I think, um, where they have to grind really hard, and then what ends up happens is that they kind of just chill through university. Mm. They chill through university. So once they get into university, they're like they're done. Like they're they're not even they're. You get a sense that they don't care anymore. Like their grades mm. are done. So, like, I guess in the sense, of the difference between a Taiwanese and a Singaporean, a Singaporean is like they continue striving. Or mm. mm. Taiwanese, maybe a lot of them just kind of relax. And then the good ones, or like the ones that keep striving, don't stay in Taiwan. They go to America, or or mostly America now, or maybe Singapore. Sometimes they go to Singapore. Have you met any Taiwanese in Singapore? Um. Yeah, I think there was like one like Taiwanese girl in my university that I shared a class with, but she's quite Americanized, so uh, I'm not sure if she's her her personality re- reflects that of a typical Taiwanese. But uh, yeah, there there are some, and I think they mostly work in tech. Yeah, but and but I'm not sure like how many of them are like ABCs or how many of them are like Taiwanese. Yeah, but my friend's boyfriend is Taiwanese, but I haven't like spoken to him before. Yeah. See, yeah, not bad, not bad. Oh, I, I think like at one point of time, especially in the early two thousands, like uh, it was like a fantasy for Singaporean males to like date a Taiwanese girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've also heard things to that sort of nature as well. Like, mm. there's a difference between there's there's cultural differences between a girl in the mainland and in Taiwan. Not to say one is better than the other, but like. Um, one has a certain one's nicer than the other and the other and one is a little more caring of aesthetics mm. uh, than the other I'm not going to say which but like it's <laughs> it's a very interesting dynamic to watch and I've kind of I met with both I, I know both so like it, it's it's very it's very interesting to look at the differences in culture mm-hmm. and priorities yeah I can totally imagine like if you told someone that uh, oh my wife is like from china like we don't say chinese right we say from china because in singapore in, in singapore like you have to be very quite clear about that yeah then or like my wife versus my wife is uh taiwanese right it's like people have very very different images of like what that person is like and how that person talks to you <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 but that is very true, very mm-hmm. true. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we we have had uh, you know, a lot more Chinese uh, expats coming into Singapore the last couple of years, and the other dimension and the other group that uh, I've noticed is um, there there are many students who, sorry, there there are many people who did their like secondary school and uh onwards education in Singapore and then they spend their teenage years basically their formative years in Singapore and basically they don't feel that close to China because 
they have all their friends are, are here they spend most of their, their life here and then they just kind of like blend in but when you look at their names right you know that they are not like they're not born here and they can be a bit self-conscious about the fact that they are not actually singaporean yeah is their english quite good uh yeah i mean by the time they hit their 20s right they sound like singaporeans oh, yeah they, they, they pick up that they pick up the accent so so because of that like you know there are different chinese groups in singapore and everyone looks the same but you, you know they're different like even like a singaporean chinese person and a malaysian chinese person like you find that there's just slight different cultural differences in attitude and um slightly different ways that they view the country like singapore and maybe like national service uh, that we have or like all the males have to do yeah i think they're they're very sensitive i'm not gonna this, this is a generalization i but <laughs> i felt that singaporeans as a general society they feel there there's a lot of sensitivity about their origin mm. like where they're from um maybe because it's like a melting pot kind of thing but like i remember in crazy rich asians which is the definitive <laughs> singaporean culture book of course of course yeah the fam the rich families i was talking about like they were here from like a long time mm-hmm. and i think like joking aside like my singaporean friends they're very sensitive about like how i kind of depict where they're from like they want to make it clear sometimes that they've been here before like recent this or that immigration wave like they mm. were here way back or like they were here before like certain other people came here like it's really interesting to watch that sort of dynamic play out and what they're responding to in a very emotional terms it's very fascinating to me yeah and, and I, I think this is hard like for mostly immigrant societies like from like for singapore and actually uh, america because like you kept people who get this kind of like uh maybe you can call it slightly nationalist sentiment but then like uh what is the definition of a Singaporean or American, right? Like, like there really isn't. Like, the nationality doesn't mean anything because for many people, the nationality is just, it's just an upgraded visa, right? Yeah. You always had, like, when growing up in America, you always feel, like, some sort of jealousy, or not jealousy, where you're impressed by, like, the European-American or, like, the, the white American yeah. who's come from America and can trace like their family back to like 1700s or the 1800s of like the, the Mayflower, which is a boat that came to America. But that's more, that's such people like that are relatively rare, but you do get that sort of, it's notable enough that, that people care about it. For myself growing up in America, I always got the sense that like, you know, my family tree sort of ended once they came to America or like it starts when they came to America. Hmm. So like everything that came before that maybe before my grandparents or something, just Asia, like Asia. Right. And, um, it's sort of like, it's an interesting dynamic to think about, especially considering like you have language. It's, it comes from like language gaps, language barriers and stuff like that. You don't really hear. And they like the, the elders don't really talk about their lives and all that. It's, it's sort of a very interesting, it's a, it's a void in sort of like your history and your past that kind of, you know, goes back to what I said earlier about kind of like 
you it's a make the Asian American identities Asian American, not necessary Chinese American, Taiwanese American, Vietnamese American, Korean American. Though that's changing, of course, with you know, greater awareness. Mm. Yeah, I I used to date someone who, I mean, she's Japanese American, and then like she grew up like I mean, she's lived her whole life on the West Coast, and then she she used to talk about like different Asian groups like not hanging out with e- with each other, and like in my head I was trying to imagine like wait but but how do you know who who's who just by looking at them right? Is that- <laughs> Yeah, they know. Yeah. I guess they'll know in some ways. And like a lot of them just hang out with each other because they grew up with each other. Mm. My family grew up. I My family had no friends. So like, you know, you know, I, I kind of mixed in with everyone else. But like a lot of other people, for example, when I grew up, there was a very large Korean population. Mm. All the Koreans hang out, hung out with each other and only with each other because they all went to the same church. All their families knew each other. And like yeah. it was very weird weird world oh yeah i think i watched this uh like netflix show once like it's called like a taiwanese tale of two cities or something like that and yeah yeah it it just talks about like uh like uh, the protagonist like splitting their lives between uh uh, san francisco and and taipei and uh, the for the family in san francisco they just like hung out with like the people in their church like all the time and and uh it's just very hard to live because you know they they everyone knows everyone's taiwanese and everyone just just comfortable speaking like mandarin to each other and uh yeah it's it's hard to break into the circle unless maybe you're like the the only one of your group and then like you kind of have to be adopted by the other asians yeah you're the pet yeah you're the pet, <laughs> you're the pet yeah i i think um one issue uh, that happens in Singapore a lot is that similarly, many people just hang out within their ethnic groups. I'm talking about like friends in school, right? And there are some schools, uh, that we call them a special assistance program. But uh, these were basically old Chinese communist schools that uh, are no longer communists for reasons. <laughs> but they are dedicated to uh, Chinese culture and language, right? Even though they do run an English curriculum. And if you're upper middle class, like chances are you probably went to one of these schools because they are, they form a group of uh, more prestigious schools. And when you do that, you don't get to hang out with uh, uh, someone from uh, the Malay race or the Indian race, right? And so uh, people think it actually perpetuates like racism and discrimination because of that. Like, what what do you think of such a hmm. situation? Reminds me of the Chinese privilege thing that um that I hear sometimes in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which I think like it comes to like schools where like we, in America, I think, I don't really feel like you have kind of like these dedicated schools where like you only have, at least where I grew up, right? Where I grew up, it was very multicultural. There was a lot of, different people with different races like you you mm. you never you do interact and not only because like in the schools but also once you leave the schools you're, you're interacting with everyone right it was very mixed and like we all were kind of different in our own way california now if you mm. were like in texas or like other parts of america i can definitely kind of see where like you're in a monoculture and you come out of that and you kind of i wouldn't say 
you have like negative feelings about other people, but you're just not used to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think being someone who's like a minority and acted in that or interact in those certain areas, you can always be polite on your behalf when you meet a person like that, mm-hmm. and just be kind because like unless that person's explicitly being an asshole, like they're just learning, man. Like you need to give. I would give allowances to people who are just learning and they, they make a mistake or they make, they say something that's kind of offensive, but they didn't know. And, um, in America, I think like a lot, there's a, there's a contingent of minorities that I feel like they don't want to do that. They want to kind of nail you to the wall for not Mm. being that way. Yeah. And I've, I don't think that's a way that engenders better, uh, better relations between the races. It's happening here too. Um, I mean, they they kind of some people just want others to get it right when they talk to them, when they are talked to for the first time, right? And in their mind, it could be reasonable, but statistically, there's always going to be someone who just doesn't know, right? Yeah, yeah. Some someone's going to say something wrong and and things like that. And I mean, it's not nice to see someone like you know you know like nailed to the cross just because like he he said something wrong, especially online. Yeah, and uh. I think Singapore is really, really particular about... I, I think this is a hangover from our separation from Malaysia, but like uh, r- racial tensions. Yeah. It's, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, like the statutory board that oversees a racial harmony... Uh, a lot of people hate that word, by the way. Uh, it's under the Prime Minister's office. And under the Prime Minister's office is code for national priority slash a lot of money goes into it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's yeah. We we don't really see it as an issue, but I I think you know in the government whatever risk analysis department like it is at least top three top three like that things that can destroy Singapore. That is interesting because I think you're probably right in that it's kind of like a backlash of kind of the the Singapore's formative years when you had a lot of situations where there were a lot of riots and it was a big problem for people. Mm. I think. It is also something that's just in America too, like where you have like, you know, you have this melting pot culture and there's, I don't think the government has a racial harmony department in the mm-hmm. United States. Um, if, if they do, then I definitely didn't get the memo, but like, <laughs> it's, it's interesting as an American to, to hear about it explicitly called out and explicitly kind of set aside as like, something the government's going to work on. Because I feel like the government in America is almost legislated to acknowledge it only as far as they can say that they want to be race blind, right? Mm. So that was like, it's a very, it's sort of an interesting approach in two different ways. And of course, it's not comparable because America's 400 million people and Singapore has less than that. So like, Mm. But it's interesting to look at that the the principles behind those approaches, and kind of wonder like, oh, wow, what would be interesting if one kind of swapped the other? Have you done a video on uh, Singapore's public housing policies? Uh, no, because I feel like it's pretty well covered. There's a pretty there's a lot of good video videos about it. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, yeah, but I, I one explicit social engineering thing is like they control the the ratio of ethnicities like within public housing estates right yeah so yeah it's crazy to think about from an outside perspective right here i suppose 
it is it is it is i can see it in that sort of like why they would want to do it it's definitely a there would there would be in america someone would get really mad <laughs> it's like uh, i mean yeah you can't please you can't please anyone with a policy like that right it's like it, it's it sounds racist uh it's probably going to dip property prices or something like that you know someone's just going to be like oh how can we you know, allow these people to live with us yeah, and then thing. it's going to start a counter rage and then there's going to be a counter rage to the counter rage and in the end everyone's just angry at each other and then you know uh, at least uh, we get a lot of engagement on the comment side on the comments <laughs> singapore is a bit weird because we can only demonstrate online like yeah because it's like <laughs> uh yeah you get arrested really easily not as bad as hong kong like I, I never thought i would say that but yeah like uh we have actually have slightly better freedom of speech than hong kong right now uh it's interesting because i've actually met with a couple you know taiwanese analysts who spent some time in singapore like substantial like 12 years mm -hmm. and i do they weren't making a comment about hong kong but they were saying that like there is like they felt less comfortable saying things in Singapore than they were in mainland China, which Ooh. is kind of a really interesting, I think, uh, dynamic there. They felt that they were more afraid. I got a sense that they're more afraid of what happens in Singapore, like the government in Singapore, than they were of the Communist Party in China. Uh, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy to me. Like we do have like some like out, what we call out of bound markers, like OB markers. It's like you can't talk about race, you can't talk about religion, much in the way that in China you can't talk about uh, certain regions in the west of China. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah, I, I really wonder like what they encountered to uh, make them feel so fearful in that way. But then again, like to compare, like you live in Taiwan, which like from my perspective, like seems to be like the in Asia, the absolute pinnacle of like freedom of speech and the purest democracy for better or for worse. For better or for worse. I think like someone will get mad at you anyways, <laughs> but like um, there's a few things you can't talk about, I think for sure. Um, but like for the most part, yeah, we are I'm very fortunate. Uh, we're all very fortunate, I think, to have the ability to at least say crazy stuff and at least people will the only thing the only punishment you get is that people will think you're crazy yeah but like you can make yeah. certain things you can say certain things about you know the politics and you can make certain comments about you know the government that i don't and you can actually protest which uh i actually don't see that often here i don't see a lot of protests here but but um to, to, to know that you can is, I guess, a, a plus. Not that I would protest. I'm, I <laughs> yeah. have no involvement in politics. I'm quite familiar with Japan, and they actually like also have you know many, many rights to like protest and demonstrate, and, and it's all enshrined in their constitution. And they, the, like, the police can't, legally can't take violent action against them or something. Like, like it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's actually written in or something like that. And they don't do it because they, they find it's pointless. At least most, most, the majority of Japanese people who live and work in a city, they don't bother with such things. But um, I think Taiwan, I mean, because it's 
chosen to like take a stand and he has the freedom to kind of like take a stand on certain things like lgbtq rights and things like that right like and and it also has that you know the reputation of like politicians just like throwing chairs at each other it, it's it's <laughs> it's really this um kind of yeah beacon of like you can do or say whatever you want yeah well i do have to note that when you when you look at those kind of they they do like to run the footage of like the the, the parliamentarians fighting mm-hmm. or something like that yeah you do know that only the parliamentarians are fighting they can't yeah. bring it's kind of like it's kind of like one of those things where the senators in America, it's a, in a, in a, it doesn't happen anymore. But in the 1800s, senators in the United States could fight each other, but mm. no one else can. It was oh. kind of this weird sort of like dynamic. And like, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure the, the police will get called in if like other people started coming in fighting. But like, <laughs> they, it's kind of like everyone's just standing around watching like these, uh, these, these high parliamentarians, like just, just slugging it out throwing stuff at each other it's it's very i like to think it's some sort of weird kabuki dance <laughs> yeah yeah it's like a like a ritual right like uh yeah yeah the, the staffers can't get involved and like it is it, they need to you know the set uh please the spirits of the the parliament or something like that i, I don't <laughs> it's like yeah. a, it's like a, it's like everyone just like slowly just like they clear the chairs it's like just part of a thing and then like they yeah it's it's, it's weird yeah yeah it's funny to see like western media like slowly discover this because it's been quite like memed at least like, like amongst chinese singaporeans yeah and and like we know to never talk about politics like when you're on holiday in taiwan it's like it's like keep keep your opinions to yourself and, <laughs> yeah but but the duel also the dueling um politicians in the america thing is that is that in hamilton like yeah hamilton um yeah. you learn about it in the united in in high school where like yeah. they'll teach you about that time where one senator like beat another one almost to death with a cane <laughs> and like they were just totally okay with it like this was like the wild 1800 now the now our american senators are too old <laughs> like they're too old to fight so like they just sort of kind of jawed each other but like like maybe they should fight like physically fight because i feel like they say a lot of crazy stuff like they should just get it out of their system by like just just stripping like stripping shirtless covering themselves with oil and just wrestling like we should just let them do that that I, that yeah. certainly would be more fun I would, yeah I would yeah 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 it, it's it's crazy because like I, I don't know i was having this conversation like many years ago and about talking about all the world leaders and like who would win in a fight and and like hands down it's like vladimir putin right because like he actually has judo training and things like that like he wrote a book <laughs> on judo <laughs> like I assume that all Russians are expected to buy and keep a copy in their house. But <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 a little older now. I probably would try to say hmm. the younger ones. Who's like I would probably say Obama would have, but like uh Ooh. Ooh. but He's shoot shooting hoops. Yeah, shooting hoops or something. But like uh I can't imagine. I feel like all of our world <laughs> leaders now are really old. Um Yeah. yeah kind of a weird situation where it's hard to find kind of this new generation as your country knows like um it's kind of tough yeah yeah uh i'm not sure how much you know but like we are in a crisis a national crisis because we don't know who the next prime minister is supposed to be (laughs) (laughs) this has this has never happened since i think 1985 so like like almost 40 years ago right like this is a level of like instability you know like we can't take it like we we gotta know we gotta know and the news the news media is just like milking this story is it like 
I always thought uh, that one guy was really competent. So like, why, why not him? It was which, I, which I one? We, what does he look like? Or what does he say? The guy who the guy who 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 was supposed to be the number two, or like who was he looked like the heir apparent, but like guess okay. he was too old. Yeah, he he said he was too old. Yeah, yeah. So like, I guess it's it's sort of a weird situation, but I definitely. I definitely am keeping track on it. I'm watching this. This, this is this gold. It's great he, stuff. He really just said nope and like yeeted out of there. And a Singaporean man will be very familiar with this, that sensation, that personal sensation of when you graduate from the army. They call it the operationally ready date. So it's an ORD. So it's like, uh, people are like, oh, ORD lo, means you're done. Like you're done with the duty. Like you're out of there. And then he yeah. just he just like left this left this like <laughs> trail of like blazing like garbage and then people are like um so what's next? And the funny thing is like he started smiling again. Like if you look at like um like videos of like um Mr. Hing, like he, he started smiling again and he's like so much more chill now. And he's like not my problem. It must be really stressful for him. Must yeah, be really stressful. Yeah, you know, like, they actually set up a lot of things for him. Remember I talked about the Prime Minister's office? Yeah. Yeah, so, like, a lot of the functions, a lot of them have been, I mean, I, I'm just saying this with no justification, but it looked to me like they reined in a lot of function from the ministries to give him, like, a much, much broader exposure and to yeah. give him more say and influence about policies that go in. And now he's like, uh, he he stepped away, and uh, yeah, we, uh, it's an actual race, and it it's kind of funny. It's like almost like a, a mini election, and this has never happened in Singapore's history before. Well, it was always like it was always pretty clear. I think that like they would always rotate the right guy in, but I feel like these next two or like after that number two guy, I I'm. People are going to be screaming on this podcast because it's going to be like they're going to say his name, and I I have no idea what his name is. Like, but like the the other guy, the other two guys that come after, like the number, the supposed number three or four, are like they have certain drawbacks with them. I yeah, think one of them yeah. is like Ong Ong something. Ong Yi Kang, Ong Kang. Yeah, yeah, and they're like you know, in some ways he's good, but then in some ways he's not good. Yeah, and like it's very fascinating to watch them sort of compete in a race where i almost feel like they don't want to win but like they they're doing something <laughs> they're there yeah yeah i yeah the, the one thing yeah you've just pointed out is like i'm not sure if like all of them want to win i know like one of them wants to win <laughs> the, the, the the army guy but then like i'm not sure that, i'm not sure about the other two they just like kind of got uh put in there <laughs> okay two of them they shot to the spotlight because they are in charge of like the covid response Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. charge of COVID response. One of them wasn't even a candidate until last year, right? Yes. And then everyone realized that they liked him, uh, and then then they were like, oh, they were like, oh shit, like he, like he's in a running now. <laughs> I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even sure if he he realizes it. Um, like how actually serious of a contender he is, like because of th- the fact that everyone knows his name and face now. <laughs> it's it's a it's a, it, it's a tough job. Like I wouldn't. I wouldn't take it if they paid me and like they would pay me. A, I know it pays a lot, but like, I'm not going to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that job at all. Like that's a, that's a stressful job. And like, I'm surprised the current guy Lee has kind of stayed there for so long. And I guess he's going to stay there much longer now, but like, 
and I always get the sense that like he he also wants to kind of like he he wants to go home too and kind of relax and kind of retire and write his memoirs and all that. But like it's 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 a very it's a weird race. It's a very weird race. I I I, I don't know what to make of it. And I'm watching here as like an American where like our politics back in the United States is kind of a disaster zone too. So like where we don't really know what happens next after after Biden and like uh, yeah. crazy world, right? I wake up in the morning sometimes, uh, like maybe after my dreams of the exams. But and I <laughs> and I think to myself like, oh my goodness, we actually went through four years of uh, Donald Trump, the the guy on The Apprentice. Uh, yes, as the most powerful man in the world, like what? It was a weird four years. I think it was yeah. like, in some ways, he, you would get up in the morning. I, I and this wasn't just me. I guess the the thing that I enjoy most now is that I wake up, and Trump is actually quite popular in Taiwan. But like for for many reasons. <laughs> what? Okay. He is. He is. He is. Like he's he's administration is actually was super pro Taiwan. They were like gotten more pro Taiwan explicitly than ever before. Ah, okay, Biden's yeah. kind of carried that over. And in general, the thing that I enjoy a lot or maybe not so enjoy or enjoy not is like I get up and now it's like you don't really hear too much about the president, which is kind of a nice thing in some ways. Yeah. I used to get up and I'd be like, oh wow, Trump's done this today and at least it was fun. it was it was wild. At least it was it was interesting. I I say this as a person who released a video about like like comparing Trump to like Mao Zedong and the Cultural Revolution, and I got so much heat for it, <laughs> so much heat. Oh my goodness! I have to go watch that video now. It was a it was a video that I felt that like tried its best to be neutral, and I what I learned is that yeah. like there's no way to be neutral that's the worst right being neutral because like when the world is so polarized that like, you get hit from both sides yeah. and China and, and China. the Chinese all oh, right yeah <laughs> it's like man 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 yeah like yeah but anyway like being a prime minister of Singapore is like can you imagine like oh like how do they do it how do, how do you wrangle having to you know the Trump administration and also China that's discovering uh, how to use a microphone for the first time. Like if I can use a metaphor, it's just. And then uh, also you have to deal with Malaysia and you got to mm. deal with all your domestic people. Yeah. And yeah. then like, there's all these policy things and then, yeah, like I'm not going to do it. And I always thought like, it must've been really hard. I say this in all admiration, like it must've mm. been really hard to be the son of Lee Kuan Yew and like, and to live up to that sort of expectation. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised he seems relatively well-adjusted. I would have cracked mm. like an egg. I, I keep telling everyone this, but I think Lee Hsien Long, uh, he is the right leader for our time. Yeah. Lee Kuan Yew would not fly in 21st century. He would be cancelled so bad <laughs> like, by the population because he, he just cannot stop himself from being arrogant. Right, much as he's he's brilliant and you know he's decisive and things like that, but it's like no, 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 not not in, not in this world, right? Like he uh, he get cancelled by Xi Jinping too. I, I'm I'm sure. Like it was a very pro Taiwan guy, surprisingly so. Like mm -hmm. um, he and I'm surprised. What I'm very surprised is that the Chinese let him get away with it so much. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's fading now, I think, to some extent. But like back. Like the way that 
I think it may have been I read his memoirs and like um oh. wow yeah and it was like it, you got the sense that he really didn't like communists um Mm-mm. yeah yep. he really he did didn't not. he really didn't so like it's 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 admirable for to, to see him that he he eventually kind of established cl- relatively close relations with them with the Chinese Communist Party but also that like they must not have Good thing there wasn't internet back then because they would have seen some really like he really didn't like them mm, yeah yeah but it's crazy too because like how do you go from being the last country in southeast asia to establish diplomatic relations and then like two years later be the first country in the world to make a foreign direct investment into china like it is weird it is weird yeah, like i it's so weird I would have I would have liked to talk to him someday. I don't know mm. what I would have talked to him about, but like um it would have been really interesting to kind of try to pick his mind especially on this sort of topic cuz I I I wanted to do a video. And this is back when I was doing kind of the history. This is near the end of before I switched over. But I wanted yeah. to do a video about like Singapore's Taiwan relations because they ah, had that yeah. They had like a really relatively special relationship. Especially yeah. when it comes to like the troops actually trained in Taiwan for a while, like they stopped and then started again. But like it's it was really interesting to kind of watch that sort of them walk that tightrope successfully for so long. Mm. I guess it finally changed at some point, but it was really really interesting to watch them do that. And I was going to do that video, and I realized like no one's going to care about it. But like <laughs> it would have been fun. Mm. Yeah, unfortunately. Um... Singapore's population is small, so like, I read about this phenomenon called like something like country baiting or something like that, where when you you make a YouTube video right and like informative video about a certain country, like that has a large population like India or the Philippines, yeah. So and then because it is about India and the Philippines, like it pops up on like many people's feeds and then you just get like a billion views. <laughs> yeah, Singapore only has like five million people, so and yeah, not that many people. Not that many Taiwanese watch like English YouTube videos either. So, I think like the Singaporeans will watch a video on that sort of thing. Mm. So maybe it would be worth to do the effort to do. Mm. But like, you know, it's it's kind of tough to kind of do that video and not get and have something that's interesting to bring. And like, it's a lot of work. In so when so I think you, okay, you kind of touched on this was like when you're doing a video about a different area. Like an area that's like not necessarily in your kind of zone. I need to do a lot of reading. Like for me to do a semiconductor video is, I kind of have it pretty fast. I can do, do the I can write the script in maybe two to four days. But recently I put I did a video about like the Thailand automotive industry, mm. and to do anything about like a new country or a new sort of history, yeah. Thailand or Israel, right? That takes you need to get up to speed in a way that's like really you need you need to put a lot of time into it and that takes forever mm. and it's not and the the roi on that unless it's like really compelling is something like i don't want to do like for example the north korea video i think uh, that i recently did was that that was a situation where the roi turned out to be really good though the the i the investment on that was really substantial mm. i see like i i'm pretty sure north koreans were not watching that video <laughs> i mean uh some are, some are like uh, the maybe the the three of them covering the YouTube department. <laughs> How much 
money do you sink into like making videos? I try to keep my overhead pretty low. Um, I do most of the purchases I make are like papers, books. The the biggest cost I put in is time. Mm, yeah. Because like it's time I don't spend with with my friends, you know, working out, my real job, <laughs> relaxing, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I spend a lot of time. So the the biggest investment is time, but financially it's it's I I it's pretty small. Like I I do okay. Mm. Okay. Um, apart from your channel, which I'm gonna put in the show notes, um, and your newsletter and Discord, uh, is there anything you want to talk about or promote, like an upcoming video? I would probably say like I think everyone would enjoy kind of watching. There's a video that I have that'll probably be out by the time you're listening to this about the economics of Taiwan of TSMC's like fabs. Hmm. Like the gigafabs, these massive kind of things that um, are tens of thousands, like hundreds of thousands of square meters large, and I, I really think people will really enjoy that because that's that's you don't need to be econ- like like a technical master, uh, like a semiconductor PhD to know it, but you'll need to, but like you'll really get to see why a company like that needs to build something so big and why it gives them such powerful financial like advantage over everyone else i think you'll i think people definitely should listen to it and i think or watch it and it'll be out by the time you're listening to this right cool i I think i definitely want to watch that myself all right guys uh, that's the end of today's episode thank you all for listening today we had john from the asianometry youtube channel uh talked a bit about state of the semiconductor industry and also a bit about uh, Taiwan and Singapore. So a lot of random stuff today, right? Oh yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it, it's quite crazy. I think you are the yeah, official first like foreign guest on this uh, podcast, like non-Singaporean guest on the podcast. Pleasure. It's, a, it's an honor. It's an honor. Yeah. yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, but anyway, for the listeners, um, please follow us on our social media. My Instagram is at bthpodsg and Twitter at bthpodcastsg. You can also join our Telegram group. I'll leave the link in the show notes so you can comment on the episodes with your fellow listeners. And don't forget to head on over to YouTube to Asianometry, John's channel. Click subscribe and watch all his episodes. <laughs> and also, yeah, consider joining his newsletter and his Patreon. Yeah, thanks, John, for being here today. It was was a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. See you again. Bye. Singapore, Singapore leadership. That's fun. That's fun. That's a fun topic. I finally looked up that guy. Heng Sui Kiet. 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 Yeah. Good thing I don't have to do a video about it. <laughs> but like.